1 Peter chapter 3. Our text will be verses 13 through 17. Yes, in case you are wondering, we have turned to this text previously and we are returning to it. Uh, if you recall, a couple weeks ago, we did not have the opportunity to complete it. And so we're going to spend a few minutes in review on the first couple points and then really focus on the last point um, this morning. I welcome every single one of you here. I am glad that you are here today. We are privileged to come together and to worship the name of the one who has rescued us from our sins. Uh, Matt, thank you for leading us and the rest of the worship team. Uh, one announcement, just reminding you, please, please make um, the month of July uh, a priority uh, in your prayer life. I am so excited that we are able to take every single day for the next 31 days in July. Um, just a, a simple little thing that I am doing just to maybe help uh, remind you um, each day. Uh, July is the seventh month. Um, I'm a simple thinker, so I'm thinking 7 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock at night. Uh, set one of those times aside every single day um, and concentrate specifically on the verse that we're sending, an opportunity to meditate together and move forward uh, for the glory of God in our community. So I'm, I'm encouraging you and challenging you. Pick a time, stay disciplined with that time. It'll be a whole lot easier to remember it for every single day uh, throughout the month of July. We'll read our text in just a moment. First, let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in, pr in prayer this morning. <clears throat> Father, as we come before you, we are most humbled. We are most grateful for who you are, all that you have done. Father, we thank you for the rains once again last evening. We thank you for sustaining us through another week, another day, to be here this day. We thank you, Lord, for this church and, and for its history upon the word. We pray, Lord, that today as we open up your word to us, that we, we together would lean in and hear from you. Father, we are in, in daily and in desperate need of your strength in our lives. I think, Lord, in particular of the day that we live in and the, the time and the place and how important it is to know the truth of your word, to rely upon your spirit to lead us and to guide us and direct us. Father, I pray for our community. I pray, Lord, for, for many of, of those in our community, Lord, that, that, that many in this room are praying for us specifically, that are building relationships with, that they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would give, that you would give to us in your grace yet, yet one more opportunity to this, this week to speak into their lives and that you in your sovereign power would draw them unto yourself, rescuing, redeeming. Father, I would ask now for guidance and strength. Guard, please guard my mouth, my lips so that whatever is spoken is done for your glory, for your glory and for yours alone. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. One theme uh, throughout the book, our topic, our study in the book of First Peter, stand, we stand in Christ, on Christ, and for Christ. And through that, there is the central theme of submission, successful 
Christians live submissive lives. We're submissive to God. Every day we wake up, Lord, we are under your authority. We are submissive to the word of God. We're submissive to those authorities that are, are civil authorities placed over us. We're to be submissive to those in our workplace. We're to be submissive to one another in our homes and in the local church. And you and I understand and know that it is not easy for us. It's not normal or natural to be submissive. We know that it's not easy to live what holy lives in an unholy world. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to be godly in an ungodly world. And we're reminded this week of how ungodly our world is. We know that if we claim to follow Christ, live according to the words of Christ, that we will be what? We will be pointed at, picked on, will be ridiculed and sneered. And so how do we live and how do we maneuver our way through this life? We've concentrated on verse 15 and we pause on this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always, always being prepared, a constant, you and I, 24-7, are to live with a constant sense of readiness. It means to be equipped, organized, primed, willing, and able to make a defense, to give a clear, intelligent, articulate response of the gospel as what the gospel has transformed your life. We're to what? Make a defense of the hope. It implies the fact that hope is visible. People will see hope in you and that it is also what? Powerful. They're going to see the hope and they're going to ask you, why is it that you live differently? The hope that's in you, a settled inner strength deep within evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're to do it with gentleness and respect where we do it with a constant concern. We're not driving over people with the truth. A constant concern for others' well-being. So we have that as kind of this, this central theme to this text. Let's read it again so that we know where we're going. Verses three, Chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, our text this morning. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good If that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Okay, there's three ideas. Two of them we've already looked at. How are we to be prepared, ready to give an answer? We're to be zealous for good. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good? Even if you should suffer. That sounds so odd. Even if you suffer, you will be blessed. We know, and Job was very, very accurate, that man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upwards. There, we don't have to spend any more time describing how much, how, how much trouble exists in our worlds. Um, 
diseases and, and crime and, and, and fires and floods and, and terrorism. And, and we always have some kind of a message of an end of the world apocalyptic scenario. And, and, and people live in constant fear, not believers, not followers of Christ. Don't be surprised that we are going to face trouble. We are to be passionate for good, zealous for good, even in the midst of that trouble. We're to be ready for bad. When you are ready for something, when you are prepared for something, when you expect something, let me tell you this, I'll prepare you, you can handle it. If you think of it ahead of time, this will happen. You can handle whatever it is. God is not going to call you into something without giving you the means and the ability to be obedient to him in the midst of it. It says what? As we are ready for bad, have no fear. Don't, don't, don't worry. I think of the promise that talks about what in Genesis chapter 50, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. We know the sovereignty of God, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So there's a simple reminder as we move through life, do not be afraid. Why? You're expecting this. You're ready for this. So we move on now. We're to be zealous for good. We're to be ready for bad. And that's a lot in a short period of time. Number three, third principle that pours out of this text, and we're going to rest on this for a few moments. Here it is. Be focused on the beautiful. Number three, be focused on the beautiful. What is it in your life, in your little world around you that you focus on? What is it that you constantly seem to kind of move towards, think about, what is it that you ponder? What subjects surface? What are you absolutely, wholeheartedly consumed with? Uh, it's been neat to have our son home and so enjoying time together as a family. Uh, inevitably, what do we do? All of us, we sit and we'll watch a movie together as a family. And this this week was a stunning stunning uh, family time of entertainment to watch the Lego movie together. Some of you will know what I'm referring to when I make a reference to the Lego movie. My favorite character, without a doubt, is Batman in the Lego movie. He seems to be, when you think about it, okay, he, he seems to be consumed with, he is completely occupied by, he is wholeheartedly thinking about and pondering anything to do with what? With darkness. That's kind of Batman. My favorite line throughout it, and I can't do my Batman rendition very well, but he kind of says like this, I, I only work with black. Remember that? He's building, they have to build an escape pod or something. I only work with black. Sometimes I work with really dark gray, dark shades of gray. And, and I thought about this. This guy is like on one track mind all the time. Darkness. Now, now, obviously, we're not focusing on that. But it, it, it's what? It's all encompassing. There's a phrase here as we are to be focused on the beautiful. It says this in verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. The New King James words it like this, sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your hearts. New International Version translates it like this, in your hearts, 
set apart Christ as Lord. What we do is we pause and we think about all the things that consume us. And according to the truth in Scripture, we are to be absolutely consumed with one thing. The Lord is to be everything. As Jesus was ministering here on earth, after Jesus taught, many people got it. They they got the message. Many people believed, but that wasn't enough. Matter of fact, it isn't enough. They actually had to take it a step further beyond their belief. They had to, what, confess it. They had to commit to it, and they had to commit to it all. In John chapter 12, it says in verses 42 and verse 43, we were reading this together just the other day as men, uh, Friday morning at prayer. Someone brought this up. Listen to this verse. It says that many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God's. Tragic verse, but it is very descriptive of the way that many people live their lives today. Think of that last phrase. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God's. Now, we're talking about having to set apart Christ as Lord's, which means what? We need to put Jesus first as Lord, which means he reigns and he rules over every single area of your life, every area, every smidgen, every tiny dark corner. The Lord is to be Lord's over all. When when, when one lives in such a way that submission is evident, okay, when, when one person lives where the Lord is truly Lord, let me tell you this, it is a most beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing to watch and to witness. When a person says, Lord, I am all in. It seems with those, with those individuals, it seems that peace is present. It doesn't matter about how high the waves are. It doesn't matter how rough the storm. Peace is present. When the Lord is Lord of, of one's life, joy, it just, it constantly exists and, and, and exudes and pours out. When, when the Lord is Lord, love flows. Grace is extended. Forgiveness abounds. When the Lord is Lord, it's beautiful to watch that gentleness replaces harshness. When the Lord is Lord, there's an evidence that there is a patience that is constantly being poured out. When the Lord is truly Lord, there's something that takes place. You have a hunger. You want to learn more. When the Lord is Lord, you want
thoughts. They're never far from anyone's thinking when the Lord is truly Lord's. When, when, when one surrenders, when the Lord is Lord, one cannot study the Bible enough. They, they cannot hide enough of it. They can't memorize enough of it in their own lives. They can't spend enough time on their knees in prayer. Think about this. When we commit to set apart Jesus Christ as Lord, if Jesus Christ is really Lord in our hearts, then instead of experiencing fear, what do we do? We constantly see God's hands and we experience blessing. Literally, we begin to see life from his vantage point. When the Lord is Lord, we don't see even life through our... We see it from the way that God desires so that every single trial or trouble that we face, every, every crisis, every hardship, every heartache actually became, becomes an opportunity for us to witness. So much so that I would say that the greater the test, the greater the testimony that you and I have. But when we, when we do this, we are able to live... In such a way, look at how it's described in verse 17 that we live having a good conscience. But what is that, a conscience? It's that little voice that is inside of us, that internal judge that, that speaks and reminds us of our actions or our words, whether or not they are approving or whether or not they are accusing, whether or not they're obedient or disobedience. To live with a good conscience means that you live what? You live completely free of guilt and of sin. To live every day knowing what? We're imperfect sinners, but God in His grace has forgiven us. We live in light of that forgiveness. And that's what it looks like when you set apart Jesus as Lord. He becomes master, ruler, governor of your life. He's king over all, in all. It means literally you are letting Jesus take charge of your life. A basic biblical principle that you will see. Do you recall the disciples asking the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 11, God, teach us. Lord, teach us. Master, teach us. Teach us how to pray. And we're very familiar with this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That would, that would mean that's God's will, not our will. That's his desire for your life, not our desire for our life. When we do that, what is this called? Well, it's called submission. It's called surrender. It, it kind of seems like a reoccurring or constant theme throughout the book of First Peter. People have asked, well, well, how much? How much of my life do I really have to surrender? Do I have to offer? Do I have to submit? I'm prone to ask, well, how much of your life do you want to be successful? Do you want to succeed in light of eternity? How much do you have to offer? pause on that and gather every single thing inside of us and we say all all of it every single minute every movement every word every breath 
every gift that you have been given, every strength that you possess, every talent, every dollar, everything, we surrender, we offer to the Lord. People who are are new or, or you're sharing the gospel with and you talk about the idea of surrender to Jesus as Lord, or perhaps even reminding people like yourselves that have heard that idea many, many times, Kind of come away, they step apart, and that, that's, that kind of stinks. All, all the good things in, in my life, my gifts, my strength, my ability, my monies. I, I have to offer all the good things. Yes, you do. But not only do you surrender, not only submit all the good things, look, look, at, look, look at what else we're supposed to surrender to the Lord. Uh, Jesus is speaking, Matthew chapter 11, it says in verse 28, come to me. You, you, you come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying here? Not only do I want what? I want you to offer every single one of the blessings that God has given to you. I want you to offer me every single one of the burdens. And, and we, we like that part. You mean when I'm wrestling with something, I'm struggling with something, we can offer that? Yes, we can offer that. Why? Because Jesus loves you. Jesus designed you, created you, died for you. Remember, all of this is for a reason. Back to where we started. Why Why has Christ done all of this? Why does Christ desire all of this? Always being prepared to make a defense. Always giving ready to give an answer. This, this word here, answer or defense in some translations um, in Greek, is the word where we get our word apology from. And it's not the I am sorry kind of apology, but instead it means a defense that is presented in courts or what is referred to as apologetics. It is an area of theology that actually teaches us how to respond to others about our faith. So think about this. Every single Christian, if you you claim to be a follower of Christ, every Christian should be able to give a reasoned defense of the hope in Christ in the middle of what may look like hopeless situations. Let me ask you, can you do that if, if, if Joe comes up to you on the street and asks you and said, I, I heard that you're a Christian. Can you give a defense? Can you, can you respond? Can you be, would you be willing to work toward that? I'm not talking about memorizing an exegetic, exegetical treatise on every doctrinal distinctive of orthodox evangelicalism. I'm talking about a simple, strong, sound defense. Studying the word of God. Praying for wisdom. Trusting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Reading and listening and learning and asking questions of mature believers. So you have a basic understanding. Can you give an answer to the question that people have today regarding the word of God, the Bible? As being what? The final authority. Trust it as absolutely perfect. God breathe. Can you give and identify an intelligent response to the major doctrines? The doctrine of sin and salvation and, and the Trinity. 
Can you identify the difference between sanctification, justification, glorification? Can you speak with confidence on the debate that exists within our culture today between creation and evolution? Can you address as you must, because you will have to do this, can you address with authority the sacred place of sexuality and marriage within the context of marriage between a man and a woman? Can you speak into a culture with absolute compassion yet without any compromise on the truth regarding a biblical view on how to address the LGBT community that surrounds us. You and I know what took place on Friday with the Supreme Court's ruling of five to four allowing same-sex marriages in all 50 states. We live in a country where our own president stood immediately up to a microphone and said within moments today we made our union a little more perfect. Do you know how to speak to that? Do you know how to respond to that? We need not be surprised. We need not be angry. We need not to be afraid. We need to respond. I appreciate the words of Russell Moore from the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood who tweeted very quickly. And I quote, the Supreme Court can do many things, but the Supreme Court cannot put Jesus back into the grave. And we hold on to that. And we live with that hope. We live every day. We are ready to give an answer to anyone who asks a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who asks, why do you have hope in the middle of hopeless situations? We do that because we have been recipients, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the amazing gift of salvation is offered, the forgiveness of our sins, all of them, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we have the opportunity, we have the privilege of remembering and going to the communion table of the Lord. Where, where there, there has to be a foundation, there has to be a basis how we move through this world. Remember that there is trouble. You will have tribulation, but Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Well, how? By offering himself, the perfect sacrifice. And so we are reminded, we are commanded throughout Scripture on a continual basis to what? As Jesus sat with the disciples in the upper room, it says that he took bread. It was unleavened bread. It was, it was a picture of the fact that leaven throughout Scripture is often seen as, as sin, a type of sin, a picture of sin. It, it, it was what a picture of the body of Christ, the life of Christ that had no sin. And Jesus showed that to the disciples. And as he broke it, somewhat of an object lesson, we learn visually, we remember by what we see. And Jesus broke that bread as I break it before you, and he said, this is my body. This is broken for you. He said, take this, eat this, do this in remembrance of me, do this regularly until I come again. We have to what? We have to think more about our eternal home that waits in heaven and our temporal home that exists here. We know as well that Jesus took the cup, the fruit of the vine, and he poured it out, and as he poured it again, 
confessing for us. He said that, that this cup is a picture. It actually is not. Literally, it's not. It's a picture of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ within what? Within hours. The time that Jesus poured that out and broke that before the disciples, his body was going to be wrecked, physically ruined, and torched on a cross for you and for me. His blood poured out, perfect, sinless blood of the Lamb without blemish. To wash us, to cleanse us, in a sense to give to us a reminder this time we're having an opportunity given to you to remember this. If you are a believer that is here this morning, if you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, that's okay. If you have offered your life, when I talk about the fact when Lord is Lord, I encourage you to take this, to receive this as a reminder of what God has done God desires to be in your life. I'm going to ask the elders to come and they're going to serve this to you. Uh, please understand that, that this is not to be done in, in a quick or a flippant or a light or an uncaring way. It's to be done with great solemnness and seriousness. Oftentimes I pause and I would encourage you to just prepare your hearts in the quietness, thanking God for what he has done And if you could come and serve this, you'll have opportunity to receive the, the bread first. We'll ask God's blessing on it, and then you'll uh, receive the cup, and we'll partake of that.